Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday. I'm running a little behind. Um, I had a wedding in Lakewood yesterday, so that's part of the reason. But anyway, um, I want to do the Haftarah today. Uh, fortunately, we found a Redeemer, um, Iron Rachel Kosowski, who are now out in, in Michigan, in Chinuch, our sponsor. I'm very grateful for them. I know he's, he's a long listener. And they're doing, they're sponsoring this Haftarah podcast. Let me read what he wrote. Rachel and I want to dedicate in memory of Amy Ackerson, who Shloshim. I don't know. Hushloshim coincide with what had been her 63rd birthday on Friday. I would say she's young. Amy was a true Asha's a mother, a grandmother, a sister, daughter, friend, and educator extraordinaire. She embodied both parts of the Pasuk and Mishlei, Chanuch Lenar, Alpi Darko, in fashioning her pedagogic talents, teaching individual students entrusted to her care, and she maintained the relationships and connections with her many students to ensure Gam Ki Azkin Lo Yasimimeno. Oh, so that's a good teacher. If you click with somebody, it's good. She saw him was recognized by each and every person with whom she interacted and worst worked tirelessly to provide for him in her and the That's a very nice uh, tribute. So there's something to Shama. Amy Axon should have an Aliyah. This week's uh Torah is very short. Well, it is and it isn't. <clears throat> Excuse me, because he got Kisei saying he's all from Isaiah. Shevin and Nechemta, as they call it. Uh, it so happens... That a couple weeks ago, I made a mistake, but none of you caught it. When I did have Torah back there, which coincided with Russia, with Rosh Chodesh. I don't know, what was it? Yeah, was it Re'eh, I guess? Uh, and I did Ania Sorah, which is the usual one. And I forgot this, Rosh Chodesh, and they did the Rosh Chodesh one. And so consequently, the custom is, this coming shop is to combine the two back to back. And they're going to do the first part, uh, Rani Akara, and then they're going to do Ania Sorah. Now, um... It doesn't matter, uh, because the same, the Haftorah, the words of the Haftorah, the Haftorah. So I'm going to confine my remarks to the short Haftorah we have today. In fact, to a very small piece of it, which to my mind is very significant. Here we have the 54th chapter of Isaiah, and this is all part of the Nechama stuff, right? And, Rani Akara lo yolot, I mean, you know, sing, you Akara, who do not, who never had children before. Uh, so basically... Uh, he, the the prophet is portraying so uh, vividly the Tzion as uh, an Akara, uh, and now they're going to have children. Okay? And now, imagine some... I mean, by the way, I've known one or two people like this. The doctor said, forget it. And then something happened. I, I'm not a doctor, but you know, then they had kids. It could happen. And if that happened, they say, Rene Akarlo Yoloda, Pitsli... Uh, you know, I mean, uh, such things happen. I'm talking about in Baltimore. Anyway, the thing is like this. What struck me, and I just highlighted myself, is what the central thesis of this small passage of the Haftarah, which is only Tamsukim or something like that. And <clears throat> that is the, the, the thing of shame. To me, the most powerful and striking piece of this Haftarah 
is verse 4, where he says, Excuse me, which English means, Fear not, you will not be ashamed. Don't feel ashamed, humiliated, you won't be mortified. See, the article is looking for different uh, idioms. For, uh, you will forget the mortification of your widowhood. I'm sorry, you forget the humiliation of your youth and the mortification of your widowhood. <laughs> they're, they're trying to be a little too fancy on English there. <clears throat> Here's the so The Navi is describing one aspect of the Jewish people being the Gaulists. There are many. For example, there's helplessness. Uh, one of the reasons, you know, you had a Holocaust was Jews not have a country. You know, things like that. Uh, you know, that's one. There's uh, the idea of falling apart because you're not concentrating in one area. It's all kind of aspects of goals. Okay? If you're very spiritual, you don't have the shechina, all that business. But one aspect of goals, which is very interesting is that of humiliation and shame. Ha ha, you Jews don't have a country. You're nothing but a piece of garbage. You're garnished. You know, I happen to know, for example, when the modern discipline of history, the study of history, in its modern academic sense, began about 200 years ago, first in Germany, and then spread elsewhere, the modern system of, you know, trying to get your facts right and verifying all the commas, as they said, and getting your first sources, and having a methodological rigor, all that, you know, striving for some kind of a sense of uh, objectivity, all those things that they associate with the modern discipline of history, as opposed to Stamazoy writing a fairy tale, or hagiographia. So, um, when this happened, first it started in Europe, and first with the, with the Germans and the Italians, and then it spread to the others. And so, like the beginning of this is associated with the University of Berlin, but you don't need to know all those details. Humboldt and so forth. Now, <clears throat> the point is, who was the subject of the books and, and works of history? The European peoples. You had your German history of various sorts, your French, your Italian, your British, right? Spanish, Russian, and so forth, right? Um... And indeed, people started to write these very interesting histories of their nations. What about the Jews? So listen to this. The Gaisha world said to the Jews, you don't have a history. You don't have a history. The Jews said, yes, we do. We've been around for thousands of years. That's not called having a history. That's a past. That's not a history. History means cheshivas. Now, by the way, that's not the way in our politically correct world that social scientists think today, but I'm talking about how they did for a long time. For a long time. And the idea was that history is something if you're chashev. Uh You know, I'm interested, for example, where Abraham Lincoln went to school. I don't give two hoots where some hick somewhere went to school, you know, back in 1822. I'm like, who cares? You see what I'm saying? I say historic fact. It's not part of history. It don't matter. That's what they would say. They have to be chashev. Now, the Jews were not considered chashev. Why? You don't have a country. You don't have a state. 
That's the definition of, 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 of a real people. But the Jews said, well, we've been around for a long time. Like a gypsies. Like a gypsies. You don't have any way. You have a couple of stupid books here and there nobody reads. You know, uh, what are you going to tell me? Pinedo, show me. That's just ridiculous. You understand? You know, this farm like that. They have no universal connection whatsoever, no universal appeal. It's all built on fairy tales. In other words, the Jewish people were met by the Western civilization with complete and total contempt. With complete and total contempt. Uh, Busha, Klima, uh, Tachbiri, all the sorts of Busha, Salman, Asayich. Right? Alamayich. Most people are not familiar with what I'm talking about because you've grown up with a certain luxury. I'll explain what I mean in a second. Uh, And the Jews are very angry about this. And the Jewish scholars tried their best, even though they didn't have university backing, they didn't have the kind of funding that goes along with that, to make the argument that the Jews are a people, a nation, with a national history of their own. It's not a regular history with a country and an army and all that stuff and a government, but it's a, it's a different type of history, but it's a history. Uh, Heinrich Gretz, the famous guy in the 19th century, said it's a literary history. We have a history of a literature. All right, I mean, you know, that's a little simplistic, but be that as it may. The point the episode is <clears throat> that the West, which where we have lived for a couple hundred years now, uh, had a very uh, insulting and condescending attitude towards Jews and Judaism. Now, I'm not talking about Hitler or anybody did anything wrong in the sense of physically hurting anybody. Uh, None of these people were like that. They're intellectuals. They're classy. They're people with degrees. I'm not talking about the Nazi business whatsoever. I'm talking about cultural attitudes in which the Jews maybe long, long ago had a country and a state and and a temple, but they lost it. And they're too dumb to realize that they might as well disappear off of history. That's why there was a very famous historian about 100 years ago or 80 years ago, Arnold Toynbee, who famously said the Jews are a fossil fossil of history. You do have dinosaur fossils running around, but they're really, you know, it's, it's, it's a remnants of a dead business, you see? Uh, so the Jews, and the Jews were all angry when that happened, but, you know, when he said that. But so what? It happened. Now, how do you react to that? So, what I just said, this this um, contempt and condescension and smugness, which is not physical again, but it, it is mental and cultural, uh, affected the Jews depending on who they were. And what I'm saying today is that the rise of, let's say, the Zionist movement and things like this was a function of how much you thought in these terms and how much it bothered you. In other words, to put it in very simplistic terms, it's not surprising that a guy like Theodor Herzl would react to the Geisha contempt the way he did. And it's not surprising the way, let's say, for example, the Satmarebbe would act the way he did. And the reason is, Herzl was not from, therefore he was very assimilated and acculturated, he was a very important member. I, I'm important. He was a, a, a player in European uh, culture and politics. He was a reporter for a big newspaper and so forth, stationed in Paris. <clears throat> and although he was born Jewish, he, he was one of these people who didn't practice Judaism whatsoever. 
So it's not like he was a proud Jew. He just wasn't Shomer Torah Mitzvahs. He didn't have anything Jewish in the house. They had a Christmas tree and things like that. Now, that doesn't mean that he wasn't, uh, what's the right word? That he wasn't offended if somebody said something bad about Jews and Judaism and Jewishness. But he didn't practice it in his life. But that's because he was secular. And the only way he understood about practicing was uh, religious. And he wasn't a religious person. He wasn't interested in being a Reformed Jew either. You see, he wasn't interested in religion. It's the category of secular or atheist, if you prefer. Now, those kind of people read the newspapers. They read the magazines. They care what this reporter said or that. It's like a guy going online today and reading some article, attacking Israel or something like that, and then freaking out over it. As opposed to someone else who says, I guess, I don't read it, I don't give a damn what the guy says. Or what she says, who cares who they are? Cubs, Allen, Bud, doesn't matter. Uh, the type of person I'm talking about, it matters. And therefore, they felt very strongly the sting of humiliation that the Jews do not have a country of their own or, or what the world at that time considered something respectable, which is some kind of a territorial state. And that led Herzl and the followers, there are many who joined him, to form a non-from movement called Zionism which recently had its anniversary 125 years ago. It was Not long ago was the anniversary of the first Zionist Congress. And within 50 years, they, they succeeded, which is remarkable. <clears throat> Starting in 1897, by the time you get to 1947, you already had a state of Israel voted by the United Nations in November. So, um, ironically, they are <clears throat> exposed to the humiliation of Gullis, which this Haftar was all about, trying to speak in a, in, in a soothing way. You will forget the humiliation of earlier days. Right? They felt crazy. And I hear it. The Italians have a country... The stupid Bulgarians have a country. The Serbian Montenegro, this, that, and the other. They all got a country. And the Jews are garnished. You know what I'm saying? Jews are garnished because they have a country. Uh, it really got to them. Now, therefore, you could react in one or two ways, or several ways. You could say, I'll convert, I'm not going to be Jewish anymore. The Jewish is a loser cause. Or you can say, no, I want to fight the Jews, you should have a country, and therefore they'll have to respect us. Because if you have a country, you have a state, you have to respect you at that level. Uh, that's where all this came about. It's ironic. The very lack of frumkite on their part, but nevertheless, the pentelia that they had expressed itself in a push to force the Goyim to give a respect. You know, Now I have a country. You have to have an ambassador here. You have to do this kind of stuff. Remember United Nations. You have to respect us. Now let's go to the other way. Um, let's say you're Satmer or Munkach or something like that. There you have a different Zach. You live and preach a life which is so culturally insular, you don't give a darn what the Gantz Gaishavelk thinks. I'll, say, I'll show you a, a book that somebody wrote against Judaism. It's Martin Luther, Karl Marx. Who the heck cares? 
a bunch of hilarious, you know, all going. I'm just like I'm not interested in Michelangelo. I'm not interested in Karl Marx. You know what I mean? I'm not interested in the fancy It's all geisha stuff. Chabzai all in there. And it's, the only thing that exists in the world is, is the Yidin and the Rabbani Shalom. Everything else is just furniture. You understand? And Asher Shevet Api, if we act bad, the Rabbani Shalom produces some geisha group to come and punish us. If we act good, the Rabbani Shalom will summon another group and they'll reward us. You know, but they're just instruments in the hand of the above. And consequently, whether or not we have a country or not is a is a very internal religious question, which the guys don't have anything to think about. So if you ask a, a Satmar Chassid or a Munkacher or somebody like that in the 1800s, oh, the Goyim say, we don't have a history, and therefore they hold us in contempt. They hold me in contempt? I hold them ten times in contempt. You see? They're not even a bar hockey to hold me in contempt. Is that way of looking. Now, this is the product of many centuries of cultural insularity in which the Jews reinforced themselves because you have to psychologically not to care about the fact that the whole world is against you and looks down upon you. Right? How did the Claudius world go down history studying Gomorrah and things like that where to the outside world it was so stupid? The, the only way to deal with that is not to keep trying to persuade them that what we're doing is not stupid, because that's like a hopeless task, and you spend too much time on it. The only way is to simply say this. Mentally, I cut you out. I don't give a hoot what you think. And the reason is because you have no chashivas whatsoever. What do you mean no chashivas? We're the guy, we have the country, you don't have the country. That don't mean nothing. You see, that don't mean nothing. You're a, 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 a bunch of junk, and we're the only ones that, that count. Like I said, it's us and the Rabbanu Shalom, everything else is just tools in his hand. And therefore, my point is, well, I skipped something here. Okay, um, therefore, the point is that it's it's a function of your um, mental state, I guess, uh, how you react to what the Navi is talking about over here. Because remember, he's he's saying that the you know the um, uh, the, the psychological trauma of the Gaulas is uh, so terrible that he's promising in a glorious future will no longer be there anymore. That's the point of Rani Akara. Now, um, it's just interesting that, as I said before, if you look at the Piyutim, we've said Rosh Hashanah, I've done them in the past, you'll see that many of the great Paitanim, Ashkenaz, for example, and before Ashkenaz even, were very aware of what the guy were saying about them and they're complaining in the Piyutim about it. You understand? And Hashem removed the shame and uh, shut up their mouths and don't let them do bad things to us. And why are we bad off? And they're great. There are a lot of these people, you know, you, you come early in the morning to Dom, so you don't know what you're saying. But if you, maybe if you have the art school translation or something like that, a lot of these people from Ashkenaz time, from the 900s, are this kind of thing of how come they got it good and we don't. But, so, so my point is, it's not simply a function of totally being not from. There have been Gedoli Israel and others at different times in our history who were more aware of what's going on in the outside world, meaning they allowed themselves to be aware of what's going on in the outside world and uh, and reacted in various ways, um, a whole wide variety of ways. Uh, it could be apologetic, that's the Maimonides. Uh, it could be an attempt to, to rewrite the whole uh, uh, ground rules, that would be the morale. Uh, it could be 
you know, attempt to say that, you know, the real truth lies in Kabbalistic, and you guys have no idea what that's all about, so you're misjudging it, that would be your Mechabalim. There's all kinds of ways of dealing with it, right? But one of the ways, and especially I would say this arose with Hasidism, but not only, is this uh, studied policy of having complete non-interest and contempt of when it, what the rest of the world thinks. Now, as I said before, if you can cultivate among your followers and you can make it happen, then by definition, that's a self-fulfilling positive prophecy in the sense that your children, your grandchildren, great-grandchildren will all want to be Jewish and won't care about what anybody else thinks about them. But you have to be quite insular and isolationist in order to do that. So don't read paper and don't watch the um, Twitter and all this kind of stuff because... You know, um, you don't care. And the truth of the matter is, by treating things with silent contempt, something is a powerful retort. Uh, But you have to be built that way. Others aren't that way, especially if you work out in any intellectual way in the outside world, if you follow or read what's happening politically, culturally, and otherwise like that in the outside world, uh, you care about things other than the Dalai just because you do, maybe it's because you're upbringing or for some other reason, then what they say bothers you, okay? And I don't know this, because of the internet now, the, the, you know, all the press censorship is gone. I always say, it used to be, when I was young, things were better in, in the sense that <clears throat> you didn't have an un, uncensored uh, a press. Uh I, we have freedom of the press. Yeah, constitutionally, we have freedom of the press. But in Lamaisa, take away, this freedom of the press was suppressed, not to make a, a, a pun out of it, uh, through a certain shtick. Um, for example, and, and it's a good thing, too. <clears throat> for example, you used to have TV or radio. Well, after Roosevelt, couldn't have a station unless he got a license from the government. Once you do like that, the government simply says, let's hear what you're saying. If you're going on the radio or TV and say, let's kill the Jews, let's kill this group and that group, we're not going to let you have your license. So in other words, you have constitutionally the right to say whatever you want, but you don't have constitutionally the right to own a station that the government will will give you or not give you based on your good behavior or not. Uh, Now that's good because they wouldn't let anti-Semitism on there. When I was young and watched a lot of TV, I was a lot of junk on there, but you didn't see anti-Semitic stuff, right? Or anti-black or, or other things like that. It's not the way they did it, okay? They didn't want to do it, but even had they wanted to do it, they would lose their license. That would be the end of their money-making. When it comes to the print press, it's a little tricky, but even the printed press, you could say whatever you want and publish whatever you want. But first of all, a lot of it depends on advertising and things like that. And if you said things that were racist or anti-Semitic, chances are you lose a lot of your revenue. So that's a, a that was a big push in that direction, away from anti-Semitism and other anti-bad moves. Uh, and in addition to that, if you really played hardball, the U.S. government could simply not deliver your mail. They did that to Father Coughlin, who was a mom's and a half back in the radio and Roosevelt time. He had all these magazines which were 
avidly read by Catholics and whatever, uh, full of sin at Cicero. And at one point, the federal government simply said like this, we ain't delivering the mail. <laughs> so, you have a right, listen, you can't go to jail for, for saying bad things about people. But, unless you have libel things, but whatever. But, uh, we don't have to deliver your mail. And once upon a time, if you didn't get the mail out and there was no TV or internet, or you can't use those uh, communication methods, uh, you have no audience. So you can talk all you want, but nobody can hear you. Now, with the internet, it's a different world. The government, for whatever reason, has chosen not to regulate it. And, you know, yesh darshan l'shvach, yesh darshan But the bad part about non-regulation is anybody can say what any hateful thing he wishes. And you want to see a tax on Judaism? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. But what would a uh, Siddish Rebbe says this. Who cares what they say? You know what I'm saying? It all depends on what the British Shalom wants. Then these guys, the same guy, if Hashem wants, and the guy spouting anti-Semitism, he'll have a heart attack and drop dead. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I remember, I don't know if I told you, when I was younger, Gromiko, the foreign minister of the Soviet Union, once made a speech and he was about to attack Israel and Begin was the prime minister at that time. He got a heart attack <laughs> <laughs> right then and there. If you go online, you probably see it. Two of his bodyguards had to come and sort of like drag him off uh, off the, the podium at the United Nations General Assembly. Tailam the Sipsa Shekhar. I'm telling you, it was fantastic. The point is that how you look at things depends on how you uh, you know react to them. And in the modern times, what's the most interesting to me is the rise of the Jewish state which is a central feature of our times, whether one thinks it's good or bad, it's a central feature of our times. Uh, notice even Satmary government is a central feature of the times. Uh, has been a function of the busha that Yeshayo talks about. In other words, the claw he threw on his time did care about the fact that the other nations said, you lost your base amygdala, you lost your shalim, you lost your everything, you're garnished now, you're a scattered people, you're a zip. Um, and it hurt them, mentally and psychologically. And believe you me, down the course of Jewish history, we have lost a lot of people because of this um, discouragement and negative feelings and, uh, you know, that sort of thing, uh, absorbing what the others uh, say about them. Uh, it's a shame. Now, one can always be Darwinian and say, if we lost them, they were they were weak. They can't handle it. So we, we shed our weak members. And there is some truth to that. Nevertheless, every person that's lost is like the Vashanta say, you know, another piece of, a, of the of the body of Kali Yisrael. It, no, it's a shame. You get it? It's a shame. And I think, if I remember correctly, I heard from my Bach or somebody, that uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik said after the war that if not for the rise of Israel, a ton of people who were now from wouldn't be because they just would have given up. If you had a Hitler followed by a nothing, just continuation of the regular goals, a lot of people couldn't handle it. Now, I don't know if he's right or not. You know, Again, you could say Darwinian way, the from, from, from would, stay, would, would hold steady, but a lot of the people who are from now wouldn't because we. it's hard for us to see now at the, at the removal of 60, 70 years 
But at that time, it was an unbelievable blow, as you can imagine. And uh, a lot of people said, you know, I can't handle this anymore. Right? Until, right after the Holocaust came to a Jewish state, they gave him a certain chizik. Now, I know that the people who founded the state had this in mind, but it's not exactly the way things have turned out. The The world is a funny way. The Shalom runs the world in a funny way. And, you know, let me put it this way. One of the biggest things that the non-from parties are complaining about in the election season is, and they're right from their perspective, is how do we get in this business that we're funding all these yeshivas and kolos? How do we get out of this? They realize that, you know, they, <laughs> it's not turning out the way they want it. And this one says cut off the money from the schools, and that one says this, and the other one says that. I get that. But the way things have turned out, it's just been very interesting. Now, we are very far from the Gula. And having a Kotel doesn't mean you have a Beis HaMikdash, and so forth and so on. But you see that one thing they're very sensitive to in Israel, it seems to me anyway, is the sense of Busha. They care about what the Goyim think. Uh, and therefore, again, if Israel tries to improve its record in economics and in infrastructure and in military and this, that, and the other, uh, I understand it's not bad. They want to show, yeah, we're a Jewish state and, and, and Alpha became, we don't lag behind anybody. To be perfectly honest, with all of its faults, Israel is one of the few democracies, as you know. With, with all the corruption and everything else, that you have always with democracy, you have with every single form of government that there is. It's not just Bibi, you know. But um, the notion that you care what the outside world thinks is very much part and parcel of Israel. Now, by contrast, the real super Haredim don't care what the Goyim think. Moreover, it seems to me, the super, uh, what's the right word? Kippah through God guys that are, you know, hilltop youth and all this sort of thing. They literally don't care what anybody thinks. Uh, they're not girls at all. They have no, uh, pro- you know, they, they you don't feel the boshes I'm an Esayach, you don't find that at all. So it's just interesting that the Rabbani Shalom runs the world in a, in, in, in a funny way. It was Dafka, as we know, the non-from that responded to this busha of the Golas by saying, let's end the Golas in their way. Uh, but it was, on the on the other hand, if you just left it up to them, then once they have a state, it'll become like any other, and it will disappear through assimilation into the Middle East, uh, or into some kind of vapid Westernism. Uh, that's the Herzl's book, you know, he wrote, The Old New Land, Dalton Island, where he tries to figure out what will things look like once there is a Jewish state. He doesn't have a great idea. He simply said it'll be prosperous, you understand? But we'll make it Jewish. And if you're going to become very, very Westernized, believe me, you have all kind of nuts over there. I bet you they would have taken in a million refugees from Syria after the Syrian Civil War a couple years ago. Uh, which would be suicidal. But other countries have done that, so don't put anything past them. So my point is that this one Pusik that we have in our short Torah speaks volumes, in my opinion, because uh, there always was and always will be those Jews who are bothered by the fact that we don't have anything. Uh, there will always be the... Uh, and the Goyim have everything. 
there'll be the others who say we don't care. Let, let me put it this way. If you lived in a heavily Hasidic area before the Second World War and the movement was flourishing and them coming back and forth and you have shoals all the rest of it, well, what goal is? It's fine here. It's fine here. You know, why you don't have a country, that's between us and Bunchland. It's fine here. Uh, they would not have gone and produced a Jewish state. You have to find people that care about and feel a sense of shame to be motivated to try to, you know, uh, uh, change that problem, even though, ironically, their lack of Yiddishkeit can sometimes make it that you can get the state, but then you don't know what, what to fill it with. You know, there's a famous story, I'm sure you all know, with Ben-Gurion and the Chazanish, where the Chazanish, rather brutally, said to Ben-Gurion, look, you've got an empty ship, <laughs> you know, we got a full ship, we got an empty ship. I mean, that's a pretty stark way of talking, but he was basically saying, yeah, you built a scaffold of a state, but you uh, you don't have anything to fill it with. You know, dancing the Hora is not identical with a culture. So uh, it's very interesting when you think of it this way. At least that's what struck me when I look at this Parsha. And uh, if you look at the rest of it, you can see that, you know, he talks about Isha Azuva, Atzubas Ruach, uh, you know, this, this, this sense of shame. Okay? Um, whether it's because the person's husband has left them, we're going to have children, or whatever, the particular mashalim that are used. But it's a sense of shame and busha. And uh, I wonder, you know, how many people, for example, when you read today, another from scandal, whatever, some, uh, you know, from-looking guy gets caught in some bad situation. Do you feel a sense of shame? Or you say, to heck with the others, we don't care. It's an interesting question. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to share that. I don't want to go too long. Uh, and I want to thank the Kosovskis, uh, Michigan, for uh, sponsoring today. And uh, with that, I bid, bid everybody a good weekend. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.